person be? I think I'd want to be Spider Woman. You wouldn't be Cheer Spider? Oh, maybe Cheer Spider. That'd be pretty good. You could have like a Spider-Man themed cheerleading outfit. Yeah, that would actually be very cool. Cheer Spider. I can see it. With all the new like sublimated fabrics that they do, mm-hmm. you can get like literally any print anything printed on your cheer uniform. Yeah. So would Cheer Spider wear a mask? Probably. I assume so. Because like all Spider Mans wear masks. Yeah. Anyone can wear the mask, I hear. That's what I hear. That's what I learned this yeah. week. Well welcome everyone to another episode of I Love This You Should Too. My name is Indy, what's up, Danger Randawa? And with me is Samantha Sunflower Hees. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. So, Indy, this week we are talking about your pick, Into the Spider-Verse. Is it Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? It is. It has a colon in it. Oh, okay. I, I think there's a colon, I but it the, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I thought the Spider-Man was just implied. I believe it is an explicit Spider-Man. Okay. Yeah, this is a movie that I had only seen the one time, but I claimed to love it. And then I brought it to you. So, Samantha, I love this movie. Did you? I loved it. Yeah, it's so good, right? It's so good. It's so good. I really enjoyed the modernization of the cartoon i liked the there were some very funny moments and he's like miles is a gangly teenager who sometimes just like moves and acts like a gangly teenager he is one of the most likable characters i've seen in a film in a very long time wow i i love miles morales he's super fun to watch I really enjoyed seeing him kind of grow up on the screen before us. Well, let's get into it. It's been a while since we had a double love, but we are going to talk all about this movie. We'll probably start with some background stuff. We definitely have to cover the visuals and all the little hidden things in the movie because Mm -hmm. I think that's what makes it amazing in the first place. Yes. We'll go over the characters, so, so many characters. (laughs) And that's kind of what really completes and rounds out this universe. And then I think we'll finish off talking about some of the big underlying themes of the movie. And in my opinion, that's what takes it from a very good, fun movie to being something truly great, like I think it is. So before we get into it, we should probably talk about our first sponsor of the day. Indy, do you ever wonder how I know what's going on in Edmonton? I do. I thought you just looked out the window, but that's too far for you to see. How do you do it? Well, to stay in- informed and start my day knowing what's going on, I check out The Pulse, the Taproot's new daily news briefing. The Pulse tells me what I need to know about Edmonton every weekday morning. I get short, informative updates about what's happening at City Hall, plus coverage of business, tech, food, the arts, and more. I'll also get a little bit of whimsy from the features such as A Moment in History, Chart of the Week, and the Friday podcast pick. And it's free! So, Indy, if you want to be as cool as me and know exactly what's going on in Edmonton, you can sign up at taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. That's taprootedmonton.ca slash pulse. 
great. Now we're going to like have our fingers on the pulse of the city. You can be just as cool and in the know. As? As me. Oh, that's pretty cool and in the know if you weren't aware out there. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know me. <laughs> Speaking of pretty cool and in the know, let's talk Spider-Man. Spider-Mans. So you've seen many, many Spider-Man movies over the years. I have actually, more than I realized. There's so many because especially when you start going into the crossover Marvel stuff yeah. he does in the the newest iteration, the Tom Holland Spider-Man. So did you probably start with the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? Was that your first introduction? Um, I think I saw some animated stuff just kind of like on TV beforehand. So like I knew who Spider-Man was. Oh, like the 90s cartoon yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I started there. I don't, like I knew who Spider-Man was. I don't think... I developed like a liking for him. I was more of a Batman girl because Batman was always on right after school. Oh, and plus that Batman animated series, it still holds up. It's very good. Oh, I watched like the Adam West Batman. Oh, that one. I uh, thought it was cool for a while, but even like by the time I turned like nine, I was like, that's ah, too campy for me. Oh, see, I liked I liked the camp. Yeah. So I was more of a Batman girl back then. But now I am like... 10 Spider-Man movies into my life and it's it's kind of there and I enjoy the whole story and the background and the lore of Spider-Man. And would you say your Spider-Man experience has peaked now? I think so. I, I gotta say, like, I really do like the Tom Holland ones. I like the first two Raimi, Tobey Maguire ones. But this, I think, is just a, a whole new level and... I think Miles Morales is now, like, my Spider-Man. Yeah, I agree. He's my boy. I agree. I really love what they did with him. I didn't, like, I don't read comics, so I didn't know that there were all these different kind of iterations of Spider-Man. I don't have much background information about this, but because I stopped reading comics when I turned, like, 14 or so, so a lot of these comic book characters are after after I was out of the game, out you of know. The game. <laughs> but uh, Miles Morales came about in a kind of universe called Ultimates. So there okay. was uh, Ultimate Marvel and Ultimate Spider-Man, and in that world, Peter Parker dies and Miles Morales takes over. Interesting. Most of these other ones are kind of one-offs from here or there uh -huh. because there was an idea of the the spider-verse and there was a madam web and all sorts of other things <laughs> that had all of these different characters and they're a lot of fun there's a spider knight out there as well and there's like a cowboy spider-man too wow there was also a video game not too long ago called shattered dimensions and noir was definitely in that i forget which other ones i think 2099 that was from my time when I was reading comic books, but we only see Spider-Man 2099 at the very end in the post-credit sequence. Of this I thing. wonder if we'll see some more of these characters in the sequel. Yeah, so there is a sequel coming yeah. soon-ish. We'll definitely see Gwen. I don't know anything else. Okay. Well, yeah, she she was very enjoyable, and I enjoyed her kind of arc in this movie. After the Tobey Maguire movies, they're like, we're rebooting Spider-Man already. I mean, everyone's like, well, you just did that, but we're doing it again. <laughs> it's like every two years, there was a new Spider-Man and a new Spider-Man movie. Pretty much. With the same plot. So there was talk about like, you know what? Why can't we make Spider-Man black? 
And really, there's no reason at all. No. Because Spider-Man just needs to be, I think I mentioned it on the last episode, he needs to be from New York. I think that's a part of his personality, Mm -hmm. but I don't think him being white or black really makes a difference. And at the time, there was talk of Donald Glover playing Spider-Man. Oh. Which I would have loved so much. Um, of course, that didn't happen because there's a huge backlash of, you can't make Spider-Man black, you PC monsters are ruining everything. And that doesn't have anything to do with anything. But uh, Donald Glover wore Spider-Man pajamas on that episode of Community. Aww. And if you notice, I think it's at uh, Uncle Aaron's house. There's a TV on and it's playing that episode of Community with Donald Glover in his Spider-Man pajamas. Oh, I remember you saying Donald Glover. (laughs) And then in the Tom Holland movies, Donald Glover has a little cameo as like a a criminal of some sort. Right. Yes. And I I really like Donald Glover. I want him to be in more things because he is great. Definitely. And I, I enjoy his music. I passively enjoy his music. You enjoy it when I force you to listen in the car. <laughs> yeah, I I do enjoy it, though. And uh, Donald Glover also got to be the voice of Miles Morales in one of the animated ones, which I may have stayed up very late last night watching. <laughs> I turned on the TV when I got home from work today and uh, noticed that there was Spider-Man on, and then you had the whole Spider-Man collection on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> yeah, I was getting into it, man. I wanted to see like other iterations of Miles Morales. Right. Also, I finished my first video game in like 15 years. Did you finish Miles Morales? I don't really play a lot of video games, but during the lockdown, I was like, you know what? I'm going to play a game. And Mm. that Spider-Man Miles Morales game came out. It's pretty great. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, But what we were talking about is they said that you can't have a black Spider-Man and that made people very angry. But I have like mixed feelings on it because of course Spider-Man could be black. But then I also don't want them to change Spider-Man, or Peter Parker, I should say. Mm -hmm. I don't want them to make Peter Parker black. No. Not because, like, hey, don't change things, but make a good black character. Yeah. It seems like pandering, right? Like, we're like... I don't even know about that. It's just, it seems uh, like you're resigning to the fact that you can't do better. Like, when... The female-led Ghostbusters came mm-hmm. out. I didn't like it because it wasn't a very funny movie. No. And people hated it because you can't make them women. You can. But also, what I want to say is, you can just write good roles for women. Yeah. You don't just have to take a male's role and then change it to be a woman and say, look, we did it. Exactly. You don't have to take a great white character, make him black, and say, look, we did it. Mm-hmm. Just write a good black character. And then along comes Miles Morales, and they did it. Mm-hmm. He's such an enjoyable character. And now that we know that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be in the Spider-Man live action sequels because they're going to be doing some Spider-Verse stuff in uh, in the big movies. Awesome. I don't know much about it yet, but it opens the door for a Miles Morales character. Why don't you put Miles Morales in that movie then? Right? If we're doing Spider-Verse stuff, Miles Morales like has to be there. I, I especially hated that... The backlash against the idea of a black Spider-Man then led to Andrew Garfield. Because, yes, you can make a Spider-Man black or Puerto Rican or Chinese or Mm -hmm. whatever if he has the things that make him Spider-Man. And that's having responsibility thrust upon him and rising to the occasion, being an underdog and being a representation of everyday people at their best. Because that's what Spider-Man is. Yeah. 
Then they get Andrew Garfield, who comes out and is like a cocky dick Spider-Man. I hated the Andrew Garfield like era. Because I kept going and seeing those stupid movies, being like, no, he's going to be better. It's going to get better. And, and it, he it was, just never did. I think there was a fundamental misunderstanding of what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man mm-hmm. in that. And that is not the case for Miles Morales or um, Into the Spider-Verse. There can be moments where, like, there's moments where Miles is really, like, impressed even with himself. Yeah. And he gets a little bit cocky, but then there's always something that, like, brings him back down. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that when we talk about his character. But Miles is, like, the coolest a Spider-Man could be. Mm -hmm. Like, he's a pretty suave guy for a teenager Spider-Man. Yes. But we'll talk about that in a moment. Oh, also, if they do that Spider-Verse live action, I want the guy who played the Japanese Spider-Man to come and be in that. That would be the greatest thing ever. Japanese Spider-Man? I could do like an hour on Japanese Spider-Man right now, but I'll just say it's very cool. It's very different. He's like the herald of the devil and has like a spaceship. What? Yeah, it's a whole thing. But uh, there's a very good episode of Marvel 616, which is a little documentary series on Disney Plus. And the Japanese Spider-Man one is so good. So go watch that. Oh, that sounds good. But let's talk about the visual style of this because we've been talking this long and we haven't really talked about this movie yet. And I have a lot to say and I think you might as well. Okay, let's do it. So off the bat, how did it strike you visually? Um... It was exactly what I thought a live action comic book would look like. Yes. Yeah. It was very cool. I enjoyed um, some of the like old timey things. And I talked about Adam West Batman earlier. And like they'd have the like pow and pop. Yes. Yeah. And like crash come up and like flash over the screen when things like when there was a fight scene happening. Mm-hmm. And they carried that on into this so well and I loved that it brought me back to a time of something that like I'm not into comic books but this kind of brought me in and made me feel like I remembered something or like I knew something about comic books because I'm like oh yeah they have like because there's no sound and no action you have to kind of know that someone's like getting punched in the face or like something crashing is happening or something like that so I enjoyed the little words that would come up and I enjoyed um that sometimes the background would literally look like that dots um, yes, yeah. color fill for mm-hmm. like comic books. I really liked the look of this. I love to hear that because all the little things they do in this movie, I wonder like, do people who aren't nerds like me notice this? But absolutely they do because you touched on almost everything that I was going to say. And it shows that even if you don't have that like comic book history, mm-hmm. it taps into some sort of like almost nostalgia that, yeah. that we all have. Um, I would say this is a very accessible place to start for Spider-Man. Yes. Other than the fact that I didn't know who, like, Penny Parker and, like, Kingpin and, like, I didn't know all of these characters, but they didn't start at a place that was kind of above the average viewer. 
Yeah, and I'd argue that you don't need to know who no. those characters are because all of their character stuff was so well done in the movie that you you get it. Yeah, and Unlike, you might just assume that they're like new characters. Like you don't need to know that they've all had spinoff series or what I Right, right. it doesn't matter yeah, no, because this is matter. the first time they're being introduced to this world, so it can be our first introduction to them as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, no, I really enjoyed the accessibility of this movie and the like the look of it was so realistic to what a comic book if it moved would look like mhm let's talk about a bunch of that nerdy stuff now like you mentioned they have the uh printing dots because old comic books would be printed with dots and yes. sometimes the colors wouldn't always align and you see that as well in this yeah. you get that like chromatic aberration or uh uh, printing offset uh, mm-hmm. errors or like the the blur in the background yeah so i know a lot of people would see that blur and say that it was bad 3d that's not the case it was very intentionally done it crossed my mind that it reminded me of like when you don't put your 3d glasses on in time during those like original 3d movies that had like three minutes of 3d in them and they said put glasses on now and then you'd put them on but if you didn't get your glasses out in time it was like really blurry and like foreground and background were very very obvious Mm -hmm. and did you notice when the stuff starts it's not until after he gets bitten Mm -hmm. there's no comic book stuff before that yeah i theorize that his world, Miles's world, mm-hmm. doesn't have that kind of comic booky stuff to it. Right. It's more similar to ours, but of course we know it is a different world because uh, there's like different movies, like Shaun of the Dead 2 is being made there finally. They talked about it here. We never got it though. <laughs> uh, there's a Seth Rogen movie called like High in the Saddle or something. Yes. Hold your horses. They're high on the saddle. Yes. There's there that. were some funny movies in the in the marquee. There's a uh, Clone College which is a sequel, I guess, to Clone High. Oh. And they're the PDNY rather than the NYPD. NYPD yeah. So you know it's not our world. But this world, I think, doesn't have any of those comic book things. But the spider that comes through, my theory is that that comes from a very comic booky type world. So when it bites him, and then he starts saying things like, wait a minute, and he looks at the speech... Mm-hmm. So he can see his thoughts and he's like, why are my thoughts so loud? And he can actually see the words and he looks yeah. at it and is kind of scared of it. Yeah. So it's like he's gaining part of that universe that wasn't him. And that also foreshadows all these other universes that he's going to soon be aware of. Yeah, that was so cool to see um, him all of a sudden like reacting to being bitten by a spider. Like that because that's such a classic thing in Spider-Man. And he, I loved his reaction. He just kind of slapped it, like, very, yeah, like, nothing. Like, ugh. <laughs> it was, like, the most nonchalant thing after this epic shot of the venom going into yeah. him. And you expect something bigger, and then it's just He's a little like, Ew. slap. <laughs> um, but I liked that he, like, went to bed and woke up and, like, why are my pants so small? Yeah. Puberty. <laughs> yeah, I love all the puberty jokes. That was really And funny. I liked when uh, Gwen... What was what did she say her name was? Gwanda. Gwanda. <laughs> That's right. Uh, when she's standing there and she's like, I don't think you understand what puberty yeah. is. 
<laughs> also, isn't it funny that the first thing he says to her is about the relativity of time, and little does he know that she knows because she's from a different universe yeah. and is here to like scope out other spider people. Yeah, and maybe that's why she laughs, not just because it was so so quiet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that was a really funny. Bit and too. it was such a high school moment too. Yeah. Like they made these people kids, and I yeah, the kids in this movie act like kids. Mm-hmm. It's not so overwrought either. I feel like we've talked about this in a couple of the things that we've watched and how much we appreciate when like high school people are like actual children. They behave properly. Yeah. Yeah. And not like 23 year olds. Yeah. Um, Back to all the visual stuff. You had mentioned the blur that gets stronger when Miles is more stressed. So on like casual scenes, you don't see it nearly as much, but it comes up in like battle scenes or when he's worried more. And I think that kind of maybe affects you subconsciously because Mm -hmm. you're seeing things not being quite right. So maybe it puts you more in Miles's mindset. Right. There's one nerdy thing that I have to mention because of uh, Jack Kirby was a great artist for Marvel for many years. And he had this thing that was often called Kirby Crackle or Kirby Dots. So, uh, you know, in most comic books, if someone has, like, energy shooting out of them. It's kind of harsh lines or, like, starburst patterns. Mm -hmm. What Kirby started doing is using dots for energy patterns. Oh. And so when you see the collider with all of those weird kind of ink blotty type things coming out of it. Yeah. I loved that. And that was such a good, like, subtle nod to the the Kirby crackle, which became famous and named after Jack Kirby. Oh, that's fun. And another thing that I'm not sure if most people notice, but I loved or at first bothered me a lot because I'm uh, very affected by frame rates. I have an, uh, I guess maybe doing movies and stuff, you get mm-hmm. used to that. I hated when people think that like, oh, my TV puts everything in 120 frames per second. So that makes it better. It's not. It's worse. I hate high frame rates like that you do t- you talked about that a lot when we got our our tv that we have now yeah i had to I make remember. sure that it'll do 24 yeah. frames natively i yeah. learned well because people think that the higher frame rates because all tvs are getting higher and higher in their frame rates and right. they keep thinking that's better i prefer 24 24 is where is that that's what film is shot in and i think for a good reason but uh so this movie is in 24 frames per second, not something silly like 60 to make it look like a video game. Right. It's trying to look like a film. But Miles himself is often animated at 12 frames per second. Oh, so he's like slower? So he just looks like out of pace with everything else. Right. And it's most noticeable when uh, Peter B. Parker and Miles are swinging somewhere together, like at the when they're escaping from Dr. Octopus, Doc Ock, <laughs> Miles is not quite catching up and he's like falling and stumbling mm-hmm. and he's at 12 frames per second then. But then as he gets in sync with Peter, literally they switch him over to 24 frames. So then he looks oh, like he's slowly. So once he's me. figured it out, yeah, I really enjoyed and I know I'm skipping way ahead, but I really enjoyed that scene of them learning how to swing together. Yeah. When they're holding the computer between them and they're like swinging. That was cute. We'll talk about that more later, though, I'm sure. There's also 42s everywhere in this movie. The number yeah, 42 that's comes what up you a lot. said when we watched it the second time. So I don't know why. People said like, oh, it's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing. I don't think so. Because wasn't, was that 42 is the no- answer to everything? I thought it was a different number. But either way, I think it's for Jackie Robinson. 
Oh. Jackie Robinson, who has his number retired across uh, Major League Baseball, who was the first black player to play in the Major Leagues. And now we have our first biracial superhero lead in any movie before. So he's breaking down barriers just like Jackie Robinson. So I like to think that they did it for Jackie Robinson. It is 42 for Hitchhiker's Guide. Is it? Yeah. I feel like this movie would be more about Jackie Robinson than Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, though. I agree. But that's just my thinking. No, I think I agree. I don't know a whole bunch. I saw the movie. I didn't 42? Re- no, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. Uh, but I don't, I don't think I got it. I don't want to get into the whole thing because Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans are too much for me. I agree. So they'll just say, oh, the movie was terrible. Yeah, it was, but the book's not great either. I went and saw it with those people, right? Like the people who are like, oh my God, you're going to love this. You can like read the book later because I'm sure it'll be exactly the same as the book. And I just had to like pretend after that I like knew what they were talking about because they just like, said oh the book is so much better you're gonna have to read the book and i was like i never want to do anything with this ever again no i like, read the book it's it's funny a lot of the time it's annoying and tedious a lot of the time i just didn't get it <laughs> yeah but let's not talk anyway. about that um so i think it's for jackie robinson but okay. who knows we're gonna go with that that's gonna be our official podcast stance yeah and I loved that it was a combination of CG and hand-drawn stuff. So they like 3D modeled everything, of course. Mm-hmm. But then somebody actually went in with their hands and drew over top of it. So a lot of the lines you're seeing still kind of retain that comic book feel of okay. being hand-drawn. Cool. And apparently there were 177 animators who worked on this film. And it took an average of one week per second of film. Wow. So it took a long time. That's an incredible amount. Yeah. That's nuts. (laughs) And it shows because every single frame of this movie, you can pause it and be like, that's a poster. That's a poster. Yeah. That's a poster. I'll never complain about how long it takes me to build a PowerPoint ever. (laughs) (laughs) Holy crap. (laughs) And there's so many little like meta Easter eggs for the nerds out there. We don't need to go into all of those because all you nerds saw it. So I'd only be telling you. Mm -hmm. The only people who care about it already know about all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But what I think I really appreciate more than all like the Easter egg type stuff is how many great setups and payoffs there Mm -hmm. are like how many little lines are said how many little actions are done and then it comes to affect the movie later on Mm -hmm. because you don't need to be a marvel nerd to pay attention to that that's just good screenwriting right visually did you have any favorite sequences or scenes i think that scene where they're swinging through the forest with the computer yeah, because that forest seemed so different from, like, the city. It was mm-hmm. so, like, almost simple relative to it a lot of the other things. It was very simple. And the color palette was beautiful. It looked different. So at first I wasn't sure about uh-huh. it, but I, I actually really loved that scene as well. Yeah. That setting was very beautiful. And anytime he was referencing the comic book, because it was fun to see... Um, I, I say real life, but, like, his real life. Like, yeah. Miles' is real life. But, like, it's fun to see the, like, old Spider-Man comic and then him in real life doing that same thing, like, standing on top of the building. Yeah, yeah. I love that little addition yeah. because I think we'll probably talk about it many times. But mm-hmm. this movie, more than any other Marvel movie, seems like it's made by fans. Mm-hmm. Like, the 
amount of detail, or not even detail, the amount of love that is put into this movie yes. for the world of Spider-Man is is far beyond any other Marvel movie. And yeah. I'm sure like lots of those directors and actors like grew up on the comic books and loved them, mm-hmm. but nothing comes across on the screen like that. Like they are pulling actual panels from it and yeah. making reference yeah. to it, right? And and things like like the Kirby Crackle. Mm-hmm. All these little things are just little love notes to the older generation of Spider-Man. Also, I know this is like a moment, not a visual thing, but when Stan Lee is like, the suit always fits. <laughs> oh, man. That was such a like... We should take a little break to talk about the, the Stan Lee yeah, cameo in this and one. And you told me, and I knew that this was like the last thing and he died. Did he die like while it was being made? Yeah, so, he, so I don't think he ever got to see... He definitely didn't get to see the release. Maybe yeah, he got to see like something. like an early cut. Yeah. But I... Um, also Steve Ditko. Who's another creator of Spider-Man passed away during that time. That's so sad. So I think it's dedicated to the two of them. I find the way that they've memorialized Stan Lee in the movies that were happening either right after or during like when he died. um, So like so heartwarming. So perfect in their tone. They didn't go too much about like, look at this amazing guy who's here. They didn't make him into a different character that was larger than life. He's a guy who works at the store. But when he says like, oh yeah, I knew him. He was a friend of mine. That kind of, that one hurt me a little bit. That was so heartwarming. And then when he hands the suit to Miles, he said, don't worry. What if it doesn't fit? The suit always fits. It always fits eventually. Yeah. Anyone can wear the mask. And then they add on to that with a little nod to the sign of like no refunds. So it's still like, <laughs> yeah, like a very good joke. Funny. I think that's hilarious. Even if you don't know like the Spider-Man lore of like eventually the suit, like you become the suit, right? Like the suit. Well, that's more, I would argue that's for this movie. Yeah. I'd say the Spider-Man line always is with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. That's in all of them. That's in the comics. And that does appear in this as well. But I Mm -hmm. think this movie takes the departure with that, the no expectations, great expectations lines. Mm -hmm. And also anyone can wear the mask. Yeah. But we'll get into all of that. But yeah, that's Stan Lee one. Maybe my favorite of his cameos. I love Stan Lee cameos. I enjoy how they fit him in in such like nonchalant ways in all of these Marvel movies. But I think that uh, this is definitely one of my favorites because it's so heartwarming and it's such a wholesome moment Mm -hmm. that he has with like the next Spider-Man, right? Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into talking about some of the characters because Mm -hmm. for a movie that is a superhero movie, it's in cartoon, it's all over the place. I had argued that this is a very character driven piece Mm -hmm. rather than a plot driven. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because there's so many great ones. This being the, what, like fourth Spider-Man of our (laughs) adult lives. So many of us have an understanding for the origin story. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, they still manage to give it new takes. And then not only do a new twist on it, but also play off of our expectations. Mm -hmm. Because I think we're all kind of sick of the Spider-Man origin story. Or maybe like, especially a casual fan. You've seen it so many times. White guy gets bit by a spider meets 
redheaded girl, yeah. falls in love, becomes Spider-Man, is good at it, beats the villain. The end. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so they do a great job of like skipping over all of that with these really quick, repetitive introductions mm. that we get. And it's one of my single favorite things about I the movie. I enjoyed that. Like, his, so and fun. then the comic stack gets higher throughout the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, like every little thing in this movie Mm -hmm. we'll talk more about the actual content as far as characters and writing go on because we've covered as much as we probably will with the visual stuff Mm -hmm. but you can see definitely visually every frame has so much work it's got so many little hidden things if you look for them like every subway train is uh, full of stanley's really yeah (laughs) (laughs) because every animator said like i want to animate stan lee so they they hit him all over the place oh wow so there's little things like that but I think what's more impressive is that every little scene is full of so much meaning, either for the character, their development, or like this history and lore that they're mm-hmm. building. There's just so, so much to it. But I love these little intros because we get to see the differences between each one. And sometimes they break away from the silliness when they mention that other part later when they're all doing uh, mentioning who died to make them who they are. Right. And you're taking something that's so silly, like like a, a, a talking pig, and then you also have these really heavy moments that add so much uh, weight to all of these stories. So it's not just silliness. There's lots of silliness, sure, but it's not just that. Right. So let's start off our character discussion with the self-described one and only Spider-Man, and that is the Peter Parker played by Chris Pine. From two episodes ago. Also, Clone High <laughs> reference in the last one. Chris Pine and Clone High affect both of our, both into the Spider-Verse and the Princess Diaries movies. Yeah, yeah. which is hilarious. <laughs> I think that this was a very good casting choice because this is the Spider-Man from the comics. This is perfect Spider-Man who is like saving the world and has somehow made it into like a career yeah full of hope and optimism and he always gets up and he always wins yes yeah i love though that they talk about the merchandising so in his world it's kind of his world mixed with ours yeah because he still has that popsicle and everything and the christmas album which i hear you can actually get i hear that like at least quite a few of the songs are out there can you and I really loved the references to the other movies, like the Sam Raimi movies. There's the bit with him on the subway tracks or when he's walking down the street giving people finger guns and says, yeah. like, oh, we don't talk about that, which is from the uh, terrible Spider-Man 3. I think that they did a really good job of kind of making fun of this, like Spider-Man movies that weren't good. Yeah. And they did a really good job of including some of the Spider-Man movies that were good and that we enjoyed. Maybe not even making fun of the bad ones and uh, celebrating the good ones, but just celebrating and basking in the history of Spider-Man in all different ways. Yeah. So did it shock you when he dies so early into the movie? Yeah, I was not expecting that, but it worked with how the movie went, right? Like, it's imperfect Spider-Man. But I was like, oh, he's dead now. Wow, what's what's going to happen? Because I was very confused. I expected him to kind of be the mentor role throughout the whole 
Because he's he's perfect Spider-Man. And he would be the perfect mentor. Yeah. And he would be the teacher, right? To hand it on to the next generation. But you can't have two Spider-Men in one Spider-Verse. So it made sense once I thought about it for a moment. And then it makes sense that he gets like five mentors. (laughs) And I like that this Peter Parker does impart a little bit of wisdom into Miles Morales. Oh, Samantha just showed me she found the Spider-Man Christmas album. Yes, there are five songs and um, it's done by all people who are in this movie. So that's fun. I'm going to have to listen to that. Yeah, I just downloaded it. We can listen to the car one day. (laughs) For Christmas, this is going to be our new Christmas album this year. Oh, yeah. Perfect. And it makes the most sense kind of to have the perfect Peter Parker be the one that isn't there uh, thematically, right? Because mm-hmm. it's all about people rising to mm-hmm. the situation and making the best out of things. Yes, and perfect. But Sp- I'm going to call him Perfect Spider Man because there's so many Spider Men in the movie. I think movie. he might be Peter A. Parker. Is he? I think he just said Peter Parker. That's true. In the intro, so okay, yeah, you're right. So Perfect Spider Man is. He sets the bar for the whole movie, right? Yeah. Like, everyone is really trying to attain that level of greatness mm-hmm. and goodness. And I think that that is a fun way that they showed you where the bar is yeah. in this movie. Yeah, and then everyone else is, like, not, I don't want to say a disappointment, but mm-hmm. they're no, they can't get to that level. Everyone's striving for it, right? And I really appreciate the way that they did this because I always think of some of these, like, big movies, like, comic book based movies as someone who isn't in the franchise who hasn't grown up in the franchise of spider-man and doesn't know all of this backstory and what original spider-man was like so it was a great way to bring in like like kind of casual viewer yeah and also you're setting up miles to be the first superhero who grew up with superheroes? Yeah. Right? He reads the comic book. And that's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's such a fun movie in so many different ways. If you haven't realized, we love this movie. <laughs> and we're only gonna say nice things for the next like hour. Well, it is in the title of the podcast. It's true. We love this. <laughs> you should too. You should too. Go watch it. Well then let's talk about uh one of the greatest people ever, Miles Morales. <laughs> I was not sure about this movie and how like pushy or like not pushy pushy is the wrong word but like I feel like now the way that like social justice is changing and everything I feel like a lot of people are doing um like oh we'll just make this character black tokenism tokenism that's a good word I feel like most representation especially in big franchise things oscillates either between tokenism or heavy-handedness and preachiness. Yes. And this strikes such a fine balance. I think probably at the end of the podcast, we'll just talk about representation in general. Mm-hmm. But just for now, I think we can say that this movie, if you told me years ago, like, oh, there's going to be a hip-hop Spider-Man, mm-hmm. I'd be like, oh my god. Yes. He's going to walk around with a boombox and have big gold chains, and it's going to be very cringy. Yes. And they essentially made a hip-hop Spider-Man. Zero cringe. And I absolutely (laughs) love every bit of it. Because 
if you said like, oh yeah, he's urban and he spray paints his suit, I'd be like, oh my God, that's going to be so bad. Yeah. But no, it makes perfect sense because his art is already something that is a bonding issue with his uncle and he's bringing that with him into his future because mm-hmm. his future is who he was. And also this is how he expresses expresses himself and he's putting all of that onto his suit for the world to see. And this is a beautiful movie and I knew I was going to get too emotional about it, but it's happening already. <laughs> Um, I was worried about the tokenism. Good word. That's exactly what I was looking for. Um, because I feel like after the, like, Black Lives Matter movement coming to, like, big, um, like... Well, anytime, like, your local grocery chain is tweeting about something, you're like, I don't know if it's as, um... And then it seems like Hollywood goes hard being like, oh, we need to throw some, like some non-white people in this just to like appease the masses and then that's when you kind of end up with like movies like insert superhero here but he's black or like insert superhero here but he's asian and it's cool and Mm -hmm. it's like the same story that the white guy did four years ago but it's just like insert whatever topic is relevant at the moment like black fraser yeah what? You know the show Frasier with Kelsey Grammer? Yeah. What about Black Frasier? I don't know about Black Frasier. I guess only black people watched it, I think. What? It was an actual show. <laughs> no, no, it's a joke from a different show. Oh my god. Where they have black... I think it's a 30 Rock joke. Okay. And But it's the joke is about just that, how like we'll just do the same thing, but with black people. Right. Um, but yeah, we'll talk more about that. Let's just talk about Miles. Yes. The I was going to say the man, but like, Miles the boy. <laughs> He's a boy. He's very much a boy. And I appreciate that they didn't make him like 17. Mm-hmm. They made him like 15. And it's a big difference. Because that is a big Peter age Parker gap. usually is about like 17 ish yeah. when he gets and it. And he's like and closer to a man. Yeah. He's not a girl, not yet a woman. Yes. (laughs) So I enjoyed his clumsiness. I enjoyed how teenagerish he was. He was still scared to talk to girls. He wasn't... Because usually Peter Parker is so nerdy that he can't talk to girls. Mm -hmm. And he's older. Whereas Miles seems like he's at that precipice of being able to talk to girls. And his nerdiness isn't really a factor. I would say that Miles isn't nerdy. I think he's nerdy because he's incredibly smart. But I think, I hope, that in the world now, at least the world that is represented in film, Mm -hmm. there is no longer a 100% link with intelligence and nerdiness. No, 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 no. Because even in all high school movies, that's a thing. And Mm -hmm. it's always talked about, like, in movies especially, like, oh, I failed, so people will think I'm cool. Yeah. I don't know. I did very well in school. I didn't find it was like a, a thing that people were like, oh, you're smart? I'd be like, yeah, I am. And it was fine. It's just like a thing. Oh, I never had that problem. <laughs> I was not smart. But anyways, I don't feel like he is a nerd because when we see him uh, on his own street, mm-hmm. he's cool. He's, he knows yeah. everyone. He's still, like, a little awkward because when some, the girl says, like, oh, we miss you. And he says, like, I'm here all the time. Wait, you miss me? You miss me? Yeah, yeah. that was fun. So cute. So perfect. But I don't think any of it plays nerdy. No. I think it plays... He's he's an extrovert. This is the first extroverted Spider-Man. True. Right? Very true. And I think that 
Miles Morales, he's the Spider-Man for this generation because he doesn't have to overcome nerdiness. He has to overcome prejudice. Right. And it's not explicit. And I'm glad it's not explicit because I think people might uh, dismiss the movie then as just being like preachy or political Mm -hmm. correctness or whatever. But it's not lost on me that the hardest thing that this character has to do as a biracial, dark-skinned kid Mm -hmm. is succeed in the world of rich white people. Yes. Even though he's completely capable or he has all the abilities to do so. Yes. That's the hardest thing is he doesn't fit in at the new school and he doesn't like it there. Yeah. So whilst the Spider-Man of the past was about like... Look, even if you're a smart, studious kid, you can make it. Mm-hmm. This Spider-Man is about even if you come from wherever, you can make it wherever. Mm-hmm. And that is an important lesson. Yeah, for sure. I really enjoyed the way that they played him in this. And the very first time we see him, he's in his room listening to Sunflower. <laughs> and my one of my very favorite single things about this entire movie is he sings along doesn't know all the words. Doesn't know all the words, which is... Oh, my God. It's so a, perfect. such a teenager thing, right? Like... Yeah. Baby, I'm a wreck. And he knows, like, the really clear words, but some of the, like, words that aren't quite as enunciated. Yeah. He doesn't He doesn't know them yet. Yeah. And I but love that. But that doesn't stop him from no, singing No, because he clearly loves this song, and he's having a moment, and he's got his big headphones on, and he's just, like, grooving. Yeah. And I sing that song the exact same way. <laughs> I'm kind of sad now that I know the words. I liked it better when I didn't. That's Then funny. I could be like Miles. See, I don't like singing along to music unless I know the words. Luckily, I have a memory where I listen to it like three times and I know the words. Yeah. I have the memory Forever. for film stuff. You do song lyrics like nothing. Forever. Like, I could probably sing you the entire Spice Girls album, the first one. All right. Well, that'll be in our next episode. So look out for that. <laughs> Sam does Spice World. Is that what it was called? Uh, Spice Girls. Or maybe it's just self-titled. I think it was just Spice Girls. Yeah. And Miles just seems like a guy you want to be friends with. Oh, for sure. Right? You just want to hang out with him. Yeah. I went a little different. I kind of have like a fatherhood crush on him. <laughs> like I just want to like. You want to nurture raise him. Raise him up yeah. right, you know? Yeah. You just see all that potential and you're like, you can do it. You just want to encourage him. Yeah. Yeah, such a good kid. That's that's a really good way to put it, because I also feel like I just want to, like, mentor him. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I also can think of myself at, like, 14 or 15, and I'm like, yeah, I would have hung out with him, and that would have been fun. Yeah, very relatable. Yeah. And his origin story is a little different from Peter Parker's. A lot of the same elements, of course. Um, we should have seen the dead uncle coming. But I didn't <laughs> the first time for sure. Mm-hmm. But you know, that's what happens to Spider-Man. So we should have known that was coming. But I like that they focused on a few other things because we always hear the uh, with great power comes great responsibility. That's uh, a great kind of mantra that uh, encapsulates all of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But in this one, he started going into that bit about great expectations and no expectations. Right. So of course, the book report he's given is uh, Great Expectations. And he's given this book report because he's trying to fail on purpose because he doesn't want to be here. Right. So they assign him this uh, book report his teacher does. And I'm not sure how into Great Expectations the writers went because, of course, Great Expectations, if you've read it, is almost, like, ironic 
because Pip, the narrator, had great expectations for him and was given many opportunities, but he's writing this as an older man and is kind of, I don't know if bitter is the right word, but there's a sense of irony in seeing that they were great expectations because he right. feels like he hasn't achieved that. Mm-hmm. But either way, it's it's interesting that Miles's pressure is, I'm not sure if it's specific for the time, but it seems much more at the surface with kids today, at mm-hmm. least. Uh, but his pressure is to not disappoint more right. than anything. It's He feels like he's letting people down and he doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And that was at the heart of... Uh, of the Peter Parker Spider-Man as well. But I like how this one is maybe less about guilt Mm -hmm. because Peter Parker, his uncle is killed and it was because he didn't stop that guy earlier. Right. So there's a direct guilt in his uncle's death. Here he has so much pressure to be great. Mm Mm-hmm. But he also has the, like, almost the downing force of or guilt of knowing that his dad hates Spider-Man. Yes. And so he's becoming something that he is pretty sure that his dad hates. And this is, like, kind of inevitable that he's becoming Spider-Man because he, like, is currently living that. And I found it really interesting um, because he was like, Dad, do you really hate (laughs) Spider-Man? Like, when he he sees... um, first spider-man die he's like are you sure like because i'm pretty sure i'm spider-man now (laughs) so everything you just said if you took out the word spider-man and replaced it with gay Mm -hmm. that's a fully fleshed out story absolutely i'm not sure if it was intended because we do have so much representation in this movie there isn't a gay character but people's preferences aren't really at the forefront Mm -hmm. outside of peter parker mary jane yeah So who knows, but I'm not sure if it was intended to be a metaphor like that, but it can certainly be read like that Mm -hmm. because this Spider-Man, he hides things from his parents and he feels like his parents or his father especially will hate who he really is Mm -hmm. and he can't come out with who his true self is to his father and that's tearing him up inside because his father in passing has said how much he hates that and Maybe it's not meant to be a metaphor for coming out, but it certainly reads like one. And I'm sure someone out there can relate to it on that level. Yeah, for sure. I think they do a really good job of leaving some of these, like, storylines and, like, story things as, like, very ambiguous. So you could just pick out what you feel is relevant to your own life. I think that's the height of this movie is that you can see yourself somewhere in here. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're talking about the expectations of his parents, or mm-hmm. mostly his father, we don't get to see the mom too much in this. No, she seems like a supportive mom, yeah. but she's not the main character in that relationship. Yeah, depending on which world you're in, she's either a nurse or she's running for city councilor. Is she? Yeah, Rio Morales. Uh-huh. Also, it's kind of fun that uh, Miles has his mom's last name. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If you look into, like, comic books, there's reasons that, like, his dad was a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. and had to keep it secret. And Uh there's that kind of thing. But 
depending on where you are. In this movie, either way, it doesn't matter. But he just has her name, which is fun. That's fun. Um, so yes, Jefferson Davis, I really enjoyed the way they animated him because like a lot of parents and when you're really young, your parents are like larger than life. Mm -hmm. And so I really enjoyed that he's this police officer. He's, um, got this important job. Miles holds him in like the highest honor in his life right because he's always trying to make sure that he's good enough to make his dad proud and so the way that they animated him is this like huge barrel chested police officer and i really enjoyed the way that they put him on screen yeah this movie does such a good job of that for for all of these characters Mm -hmm. that their physical representations are just perfect for who they are and I love how small Miles is when he's in the suit. Mm-hmm. Because all spider people look small in the suit because it's so tight, right? Yeah. But he looks so much smaller he than He looks like a gangly Peter. teenager, yeah. which I love because yeah. he is. There's so many interactions between Miles and his father, and it's just a fundamental misunderstanding or a lack of understanding, I guess. And I'm sure there's so many people out there who have, feel like they have this same sort of mm-hmm. uh, of interaction with their father because it's not like there's any contentious issues, really. Mm-hmm. There's very few in the grand scheme of things. And it's not like his father is so harsh on him or anything like that. His dad is a supportive guy. But Miles still feels like he's not really supporting the true me. And I think maybe it's not so much that his dad doesn't support that, but his dad doesn't know who the true him is, Mm -hmm. right? Because not just in the Spider-Man sense, but we feel like that before. There's that one sequence where he comes home after doing all sorts of Spider-Man-y type stuff, right? And he he sneaks in and he's, he's terrified. And then his father's speech is like, well, you made a commitment to that school. And then, of course, the mom comes in and says, no, you can, you can stay. Of course, you can stay over mm-hmm. And that's such a perfect, like, representation of who the two parents are, right? Yeah. It's not that his dad doesn't care. His dad is all about the with great power comes great responsibility type thing. He mm-hmm. wants to see the best out of his son. But in doing so, he maybe he's pushing a little harder than is right for Miles. True. Very true. And I think that that is such a standard kind of like trope for movies like this is that there's always one really hard parent and one really soft parent. Yeah. And they seemingly play into that. But I I don't think that's the case at all, because we also have uh, Jefferson doing that bit with the I love you on the uh, loudspeaker. Yeah, which is super funny. So funny. I, I also like the way that he says it. He says it in, like, Miles says it in such a teenager way, too. Like a defeated teenager. Yeah. And then Dad, I love you. <laughs> coffee. And then he, like, That's a copy. turns on his siren and leaves, yeah. which is, like, such a fun moment. And I love little things, like, when he says, like, can't uh, cops just turn on their siren and, and run through red lights and he's like mm, they can't not me though <laughs> he's just like such a by the book guy yeah but i also love that this hard-nosed cop cares so deeply and says i love you to his son which is not a, a common thing in a lot of father-son relationships so they're real in the problems they have but still like being a great ex- example of what a father can be yeah there's that scene where Miles has been uh, kind of abandoned by all of the spider people, and they've webbed him to the chair. Mm-hmm. 
And then his dad comes home, and Miles must just be completely lost and lonely. And his father is talking to him, and he's uh, like willing to give him this uh, protection and love and affirmation, but Miles is unable to reciprocate. And in this case, it's literally he's unable because he's tied in the chair. But I think that's a pretty strong metaphor, too, for those types of relationships. Yeah. Even though one is able to, and maybe Miles feels that way, he's just not able to articulate it, mm-hmm. right? And I think things like that are what makes this movie just like infinitely rewatchable and just so much more than what we see on the surface. It's him being tied up while his dad says, like, I love you, you don't have to say it to. And just imagining how that feels as a mm-hmm. father to have say that to your son and him not say I love you back. And then how it must have felt for Miles to want to, to want nothing more than like the comfort yeah. of his father at that moment. And then he can't do it at the point where he's at his lowest. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. It was. And what a fitting metaphor for father-son relationships as well. Yeah. You said it. I feel like I don't have anything to add to that because you put it so well. Yeah, if you ever wanted to hear a grown man become overly emotional while talking about a Spider-Man movie, you've come to the right place, Here it is. (laughs) It's coming. It already happened. It's going to happen again. (laughs) And I love that he's saying, like, he doesn't want to drift apart like he did with his brother, Aaron. Mm Mm-hmm. Should we talk about Aaron the Prowler next? Sure, yeah. Because we're kind of already on the family, and then we can branch out to the spider people. Aaron... Davies? Davis. Davis. Is the Prowler and Miles's uncle. And how often does a main villain die kind of halfway through the movie and then you feel sad about it? Not that often. Yeah. Like, did you feel sad when Aaron I dies? felt sad because Miles, like you can tell right from the moment you see him, like you see Aaron in this movie... You can tell that Miles just, like, idolizes him. And I think this is another case of the animators drawing him really well because he's that, like, muscle man triangle shape. Right. And he's kind of, like, has a long face. He's kind of, yeah, like, a smooth, he's, like, very cool, guy. very smooth, very, like, muscular. And he's built, like, if you described a muscle man to somebody, right? Like, cool guy. And he's got, like, big shoulders and, like... The, like, slim waist and everything. And he's very cool. And you can tell that Miles just wants to be him when he grows up, not his dad. I really enjoyed their relationship. And then also when Miles carries uh, Aaron to the ground once they realize that he's the Prowler. And um, he gets shot by Kingpin. As soon as he brings him to the ground and he, like... He had pulled off his mask, and so they already knew that they were each other. You could see the hurt on both sides, that, like, Prowler had been trying to kill Miles, and Prowler was so sad that he didn't realize that it was Miles, and there's so much regret there. Yeah, the regret is, it's hard to put on an animated feature Mm -hmm. uh, figure, but you can really see it when he says, I think he just says, no, 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 (laughs) like that. It's uh, the voice acting, too. Uh, that's uh, Mahershala Ali. And to put that much like weight 
and regret into your speech in a cartoon can't be easy, but it comes through. Like, I think all of these characters, they work on so many levels, like the uh, character design that you're talking mm-hmm. about and the writing and then the voice acting, because I think this movie with lesser talent in it maybe wouldn't hit as heavy on those types of moments. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the funny would still be there. The action, of course, is still going to be there. But to imbue so much regret and so much character stuff through just a little bit because we actually don't see miles and uncle aaron on screen together very much at all but it's definitely enough especially when combined with uh the reaction during that reveal sequence to know what these two mean to each other it's another great example of this movie having faith in the intel- in the intelligence of the audience. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to spoon feed you what the relationship is. Uh, he doesn't have need to say like, "Well, my uncle's kind of like my best friend." Actually, yeah. we have one or two scenes with them, and we know it because the movie relies on the strength of its writing and its acting rather than just telling us things straight out. Mm-hmm. In a lot of the uh, comic books, the roommate that Miles has, that's mm-hmm. uh, Genki, who is kind of like his tech guy and best friend. In this movie, they went away from that. And I think, and there's probably two reasons for that. One, in the Tom Holland Spider-Man universe, now he has like a chubby Asian best friend who does that stuff for him. So they kind of took that from the Miles Morales character and put it over there. But then that leaves Miles without anything. But I think it works because he had his best friend and it was his uncle Aaron. Yeah. And then when that's taken away from him, not just that Aaron's dead, but he now knows that Aaron's a a supervillain, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea of him has also been corrupted. It just makes it that much stronger. And I think it's better that he didn't have like, another person to go confide in yeah it was very insular and it helped him kind of boost himself into the spider-man world because he didn't have a whole bunch of things holding him back true because usually spider-man fights with the idea that he has school friends right like and that's kind of what pulls him back like in um far from home i think it was Mm -hmm. uh he's like constantly trying to still be a normal kid yes and this takes place over like two days, I think. Some it's, yeah, it's, it's quick. Unclear. It's it was fast, like forty eight yeah. hours or less. Um, and so it's a long enough time that if he's away from school, his absence could probably be kind of explained. Maybe he was sick or whatever. But um, in other Spider Man movies, it's been very obvious when he goes away, and then he has to kind of like make up an excuse or attempt to be like hyper normal around his friends and i like that we took that away from this whole movie yeah because it wouldn't really add anything no it doesn't add anything it just kind of prolongs the plot and like i was saying before i like how they bonded over the the graffiti and then miles taking that into his costume is not just him expressing himself like he likes to and of course the uh, the thing he expressed was his no expectations mm-hmm. one so that was fun but he's also taking a bit of his uncle with him and i think maybe i'm looking too much into it but i thought you know that kind of sound cue that you get with the prowler yeah. So it, sometimes it's a jump scare. Sometimes it's just underscoring when he's uh, when he's around. There's some underlying music that isn't that that then gets incorporated into Miles's music later. 
Hmm. Like, the Prowler, villain or not, made Miles who he is. Right. And that's continuing on musically. Huh. Okay. And it's extra sad because not only does he die, but it's the ultimate betrayal because he's a supervillain while Miles is trying to become a superhero. Mm -hmm. And he was like the only person he could be himself around because he's hiding all of that from his parents. He doesn't quite fit in at school or even with his new group of spider pals. Yeah, that was sad when you kind of realize that he is the Prowler. Because Miles runs to Aaron's house when he is scared. When he has nowhere else to go. Yeah. He says like, he can't go to his father. He goes to his uncle. Yeah. And then his uncle comes in and basically tries to like shoot him without knowing it's him. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that he has like nowhere safe. Let's go on to talk about Spider-Man himself. But the other one, Peter B. Parker. Yes. Who is voiced by Jake Johnson. Yes. Great job. Such a Great good casting. Job. I think the Chris Pine, Jake Johnson, like... Just perfect. It's sort of like opposite ends of the scale of actor, but they did such a good job in both of their roles. Yeah. This movie, of course, is light and fun, but Peter B. Parker is sad. Yeah. Like, it is... It's heavy. And it's not just, like, jokey sad, either. It's it's fundamentally deeply sad. Mm-hmm. And it's this very specific kind of sad that they play here because it's not over the top to the point of silliness, but it's not small and trite to the point of silliness. Yeah. It's brutally real a lot of the time. And it's only Jake Johnson's performance and his character's willingness to just kind of keep going Mm -hmm. that makes this not just a, a, a sad story. Yeah. And of course, when he comes along, we know that he's going to be a type of mentor for Miles, or at least Miles is trying to get him to be that. One of my very favorite shots is early on when they are talking about things and Miles is wearing his store-bought Spider-Man suit and Peter is crouching and talking and then Miles looks at him and then also crouches and takes the same appearance. (laughs) Yeah. I loved that store-bought Spider-Man suit and how you could see his skin around his eyes. Yes. It looked just perfect to underscore, like, this is a child here, Yes, yeah. Um, I liked, one of my favorite lines was like, yeah, Spider-Man usually doesn't wear his own merch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the fact that Peter B. Parker's wearing sweatpants the whole time. Yes, I think it's... Just perfect for him. It's so funny that he and Miles both wear pants. Mm-hmm. with the spider suit. Yeah. And there's a lot of parallels between Peter B. Parker and Miles Morales because they both needed each other. Like, they don't mm-hmm. think they knew it. Well, Miles knew he needed someone. Yes. I don't think he knew that Peter could be that someone, but it turns out he can. But Peter definitely didn't know he needed Miles. Yeah. But it absolutely reinvigorates his life as spider-man as mm-hmm. a hero but then also there's that one funny line where uh miles is doing something successfully and peter's like you're doing it kid you're doing great wait do i want kids <laughs> yeah. that was so funny yeah. but also like throw away silly joke you think but also very earnest and to who this character was because he lost the love of his life because of those issues mm-hmm. right he he says he got scared yeah. She wanted kids and he got scared. Yeah. And so we forget about that because it's so quick in that little introduction. 
And Peter's sad moments are very sad, but they're so quick and I don't want to say dismissed, but you move on to the next thing because there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. And to dwell on it would probably be a, a bad idea for a movie like this. <laughs> yeah. To, uh, to have a shot of Spider-Man crying in the shower for that long might not be a good idea. <laughs> when he's doing that, there's also a piece of pizza on the side of the tub. Is there? It's so sad. It's so sad. But... To have him come around and say that, wait, do I want kids? That means a lot. It's not just a little throwaway joke. It's a fundamental change on his way of thinking. And Miles is what brought that back. And I think all of it's summed up so well when um, earlier on, Miles asks, like, well, how do I know I won't when I'm ready? And Peter says, you won't. It's a leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And faith, of course, is just, I think we use that term all the time without really thinking about it, but faith just means believing something without the evidence, just Mm -hmm. knowing it in your heart. Yeah. And that's what he was trying to impart, that you can't be taught to be Spider-Man. You can be taught how to swing webs, but you can't be taught that. You just have to have faith that you can do it. And Mm -hmm. um, Miles thinks about that, and he does have that great moment, which we'll talk about at some point. (laughs) But at the end, when Peter asks Miles, like, how will I know I won't mess it up again? And Miles says, you won't. It's a leap of faith. And, like, I know that's very simple screenwriting. I know it's a little setup and a payoff, but it's such a good payoff. Yeah. It's, it's, It's beautiful, and it's heartfelt, and it means so much for them. So they both are able to take that advice and they both just needed each other so much. I loved that relationship. Um, I also loved the casting of Jake Johnson because like I know him from New Girl when he plays Nick Miller, which is pretty much the same character as Peter B. Parker. Oh, funny. It's like this guy who just like can't seem to get it together and he's living kind of a sad life until something comes into his life and in this case it's Zoe Deschanel who like kind of improves his life for the better which I think that Peter B. Parker his Zoe Deschanel is Miles. Yeah. And they help each other become more Spider-Man-y. Yeah. Um, whereas in New Girl, Nick Miller and Zoe Deschanel, they help each other kind of become adults. And so it's kind of the same character arc, but it was such a good casting because I really enjoyed the his voice as well because I can only think of him as Nick Miller. But um, I enjoyed his growth and just how like earnest he was the whole time. Mm-hmm. He's just like, no, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just a loser. I know you've already called me fat. <laughs> Remember when they're pretending to be waiters and he sees Mary Jane, and he goes on and on about the bread, about how sorry he is. Yes, that was so sad was and so, so sad. funny. It's both sad and funny. It was. I don't know how they balanced both of those in that extreme mm-hmm. because it wasn't just a little sad. It was it was brutal. It was brutal. I wish I could have given you the bread you needed and all, whatever he says. <laughs> yeah. He also has this one little funny line that I thought was good when he's talking about the plan to break into the um, laboratory or whatever it mm-hmm. is. And he says, I'll take out the head scientist. And it has kind of like the imagination of the plan. Mm -hmm. And he's looking at this man in front of a computer. And Miles says, oh, actually, she's the head scientist. And he goes, oh, 
I'll re-examine my personal biases. And just <laughs> yeah, move on. that was hilarious. <laughs> that was and so good. And yeah. so topical. <laughs> he was so good. Man, I'm just going to say that about it every character now, but he was so good. So good. Should we go on to another good character? Who do you got? I've got Gwen Stacy. Please. Whatever movie you're talking about, especially superhero movies, if you want you can have a strong, capable woman. It's possible to do that yeah. in these movies. But then that's all there. Yeah. They can't be more than that. And I love Gwen because she doesn't do a whole lot. She's not a huge presence on screen. She doesn't, uh, she's not the lead. She's not Miles, of course. But they do so much with the little time and little she has to do that I think makes it great. I think the only trope they fall into is usually all the uh, strong badass women have one side of their head shaved. They right. did do that, but that that's about the only one that they that they fell for. Because so often they just kind of make your strong female lead great at everything. And then mm-hmm. they're like, look, we're progressive. She's great at everything. But there's no nuance to it. And I love with Gwen that she's the most competent person in the room at all times. Like, she knows what she's doing more than Peter B. or Miles. Uh And she tells people. She's not a dick about it, but she's like, this is how we do things. She saves the day. She saves the two of them more than once. Right. But she's not always the most confident. She has vulnerability that is suited to, Mm. and I think that's where a lot of other strong superhero women are more one-dimensional than Gwen is. Yeah, I liked her her age. That was one thing that really stood out to me, was that she seemed the same age as as, uh, Miles. Well, she's 15 months older. Oh, yeah, (laughs) sorry. But, like, it seemed like they were a good match if anything had happened kind of romantically which it didn't which i appreciated how much did you love at the end when they say friends and shake hands yeah i love that they there was maybe a little flirtation in oh, there for sure. throughout, but they didn't make it like a i'll miss you i love you in a big kiss yeah because that would that's not who those characters no, are and I not know every movie needs a love interest i was gonna say like i know that's what a lot of people want but this is not that movie this movie is about somehow with interdimensional spider people <laughs> this movie is still about real fully developed people acting like real fully developed people yes yes and as someone who grew up in the like romantic love story movie generation i really appreciate when there's like an actual strong female role yes because i feel like i grew up in a time where little girls were taught that like strong females find their prince at the end And you can be strong, but your whole purpose in life is to find the prince at the end. And in this movie, they very much could have fallen into, oh, she's very strong. Gwen Stacy is her own person. But she finds Spider-Man in the end. And that's how, like, her life ends up. Whereas, no, she goes back to her own dimension. And maybe we'll see her in the next movie. Maybe we won't. It seems like her, at least, will definitely be oh, the next sure. one. Oh, for sure. I really think she's At the back. end of the first one, we did hear Gwen. Yes. I also liked how we haven't had any characters yet who are drastically different in their animation style. Mm-hmm. But when we get to see her world, 
it looked beautiful. I wish we got to see more of that. Yeah. Everything had like the colors were kind of bleeding into each other and kind of floaty. And yeah. Stuff. It, it was like great. almost like, um, like watercolory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you compare her to that background, you see like, oh, she kind of does have a different look. She's not drastically different from Miles, but her color palette perhaps is a different one. Mm-hmm. She's a little brighter and more pastel Yes. And I like that she had ballet shoes and they didn't make her so girly. Yeah, because she's still rock and roll. Yeah. Like they didn't put her in like. Like, Batgirl always has, like, the dress and the, like, low-cut bodice. She still, she was in a spider suit. Like, she was Spider Girl. She was dressed like the rest of them yeah. would be. Yeah, just but different colors and the hood. Different I like the colors, hood. the hood. Oh, I love the hood. I think the Spider-Man suit should have a hood. Sometimes it does. There's, like, the crimson cat. Well, okay. it doesn't matter, but sometimes there, That's there is a hood. That's beyond me. She's sometimes called Spider Gwen, Spider Woman, or Ghost Spider, depending on which comic book universe you're in. Oh, that's fun, though. I like that. Um, I like that they have made her her own thing. Mm. Like everyone in this movie, they don't exist purely for someone else to react to. Yes. She's not just a love interest. Peter B. is not just a mentor. They have their own stories, mm-hmm. and their stories intertwine with Miles. And, of course, Miles is the protagonist, so yes. it's mostly about him. But their lives are fully fleshed out and existing without Miles. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. I really liked the way that they built her character and made her more of a friend to Miles, mm-hmm. or like even almost an antagonist at some point. And I think that kind of fit. We talk about how she's 15 months older. They made mm-hmm. a point of saying that. And also a lot of the times there is like the old uh, stereotype that women of that age are a little more mature than the men of that age. And whether that's true or not, it's definitely true with uh, Miles and Gwen, because like Gwen's in charge more than any of the other spider people. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe like Noir knows what he's doing as well, right? But, yeah. But Peter B is kind of a mess. Miles is new to everything. But Gwen has existed on her own for long enough to have gained this confidence in her powers. Mm-hmm. And that comes through because we almost forget that she does give that little origin story too. And for her, it's her best friend who died. Mm-hmm. And... That's why I loved the, like, friends thing so much. Not just because Miles had been trying to win her over, even just just for friendship this entire time, that mm-hmm. he gets that. Plus, she says at one point that she doesn't do the whole friends thing because her last best friend w- was killed. We don't really get the story behind that. But right, yeah. She hasn't been close to anyone since. And then that's why her shaking Miles' hand and saying friends at the end is actually like a really big step. Yeah. It might seem disappointing to people that want them to kiss or something, no. but it's a truly big step for these characters as they yeah. are. Yeah, I think that that was such a sweet moment of growth for her, too. And this is, again, like we were talking about Peter B. Parker and Miles needing something from each other. Gwen needed something from Miles, and that was to, like, learn how to trust again. That her whole world wasn't going to get pulled away if she became friends with somebody. Both of them, Peter B. and Gwen gain so much from Miles and Mm -hmm. give so much to him as well. Exactly. 
I'm not familiar with Haley Steinfeld. Is yes, Haley Steinfeld. She was great, though. Oh, she so is good. such a good comedic actor. Uh, she was in the Pitch Perfect movies. Uh, she was in True Grit. Uh, she is. She's the kid in True Grit. Yes. Damn. Like okay. she has such a flexible like palette as an actor that she's like she's all over the place did you hear how i just sounded like aziz ansari you did <laughs> she's that girl from true grit damn Haley. <laughs> um but when i saw true grit i don't know i think that might have been one of her first big things i that was her uh, she's a acting. child in that and i was like who is this kid she's amazing yeah i didn't realize that her. was her cool so she also has a singing career she's very talented singing um and then i her like kind of adult breakthrough because she like it says on wikipedia my favorite source uh it says that she had her breakthrough in film with true grit and then as an adult she kind of had her like comedic breakthrough in um pitch perfect she's very funny she's very quippy and she's so talented well, let's go to Spider-Man Noir, who was voiced by Nick Cage. And he, man, he fucking killed it. I thought yeah. he was great and so was funny. Hilarious. Why is his coat flapping? We're underground. Wherever I go, the wind follows and it smells like rain. <laughs> I love how everything was just so dark, right? Yeah. Because, because he's so noir. And mysterious. Yeah. And like, he reminded me a little bit of like Tuxedo Mask. Okay, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I think that's kind of the same kind of character. I didn't realize it was Nick Cage, and I think I enjoyed that I didn't realize it was Nick Cage because yeah. I have such a cemented idea of who Nick Cage is. Man, this is already a long episode, and I don't want too many divergences, but who do you think Nick Cage is? I think he's a crazy person. Okay, you're not wrong. <laughs> But if you look at his good stuff, you could say like, oh, he's like the most talented actor of our generation. Cool. You have to ignore like 85% of his movies. Yeah. Though. Yeah. I've seen movies where Nick Cage is good. I've seen movies where I'm like, oh my God, this person is like mentally imbalanced. Well, it can be both. No, but like in a way that isn't talent. It's just like him screaming on screen. I think it's not a mental illness that we're aware of. I think he's been so famous for so long that he forgets what humanity is like. Mm -hmm. That's what I think it is with him. Okay. But sooner or later, we're going to get to the point where we're going to watch bad Nick Cage movies on purpose and do them on this podcast because I can't wait to talk about Wicker Man. <laughs> but um, back to Noir, I guess it's not a huge character, but he's so funny. And now that you've seen some film noir, maybe you kind of get the mm -hmm. the aesthetic a little more. And I love the bit about the Rubik's Cube. I don't understand this thing, but I will. That he takes the Rubik's Cube back with him. Mm -hmm. and he loves punching Nazis and yeah. drinking egg creams. And yeah, it was very funny to me. I enjoyed his whole, like, he didn't say a lot, but what he did say was so funny. All gold. All gold. He said, yeah. 100% gold. And then uh, the design, of course, one of my, maybe my favorite character design in this movie. I love that so much because I just, I like that aesthetic a lot. So as much as I love noir, I think Penny Parker was my favorite of the like kind of three spinoff characters. Right. Um, that, because like, like I said, I, I view this as like a casual fan. So I don't know all of these like people who are kind of like their own spinoff Spider-Man. 
So Penny is very niche. I think she's only kind of referenced in okay. passing. And I think, don't quote me on this, Marvel nerds, I think she may have been created by that guy from My Chemical Romance. What? You know that band? Yeah. And then that guy made comic books and stuff. Did I he? think, yeah, didn't he do like Umbrella Academy and all sorts of like actual books? Did he? I thought so. Gerard Way, is he the My Chemical Romance guy? But anyways, I think he may have actually created Penny Parker, but it was just kind of like a one-off thing. I don't, maybe she's had things since, but I don't know of any like big books of Penny Parker. Okay, so I liked Penny because she reminded me, again, I'm going to reference Sailor Moon. but Please like, do. It, you know I love it. I know you do. Um, she reminded me very much of that like Japanese anime kind of style. Well, of course, yeah. The n- music that played, the, um, the way the animation goes up instead of kind of like back. Do you know what I'm talking about? So like... I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like in some like anime, um, when things are really exciting or loud or like they're trying to make a point, the animation kind of goes up behind them as opposed to like back, like Miles's world. Oh, I think I know what you mean. When there's like an insert shot of someone reacting and the background is not, in fact, the background of that reality, but rather of her emotions. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of color and yeah. it, it, it scrolls up. But yeah, so I liked her. I liked her enthusiasm, and I love that she had like a spider robot. Yeah, that she was made a fun... friends with her radioactive spider. Yeah, and they work together, which I think is awesome. And her father had died, but this is his robot. So there is kind of just like with all the other characters who take that death with them mm-hmm. throughout, and that kind of informs who they are. She has a very literal representation of her father there all the time and it was so sad that when the robot dies like it's such a short time we get to see penny and we hear very little from her Mm -hmm. but the economy of storytelling and character building is so great in this movie that in that short time i i felt it when this spider robot dies yeah it was crazy and when she like the spider came and, like, she kind of hugged it into herself yeah. when it came out of the robot. And it was just, it was sad. Mm-hmm. It was a moment. And I love that they went full anime with her character design. But it wasn't annoying. It could very easily have been an annoying character. Mm-hmm. And nor was it just, like, pointless lip service of, like, hey, you guys like anime? Look at this. It was still a pretty fully fleshed out character who only has a few lines. We get to learn so much about her. And I feel like you know who she is and how she will react in situations, even though we hardly see her on screen. She's just fun. She brought some like quick pacedness and kind of almost plays a really good like opposite to Noir because she's all like fun and loud and like arcade almost and like really like hyper sound and color and i love that one sequence when after the robot dies i think noir is the one that comforts her and it's like such a great little dissonance there yeah for sure well i think that brings us to spider pig spider ham spider ham spider pig is the simpsons pig Oh. And another great uh, voice casting with John Mulaney. Which is hilarious. Just perfect. I never would have thought that if you said like, oh, John Mulaney is going to play Spider-Ham. 
Well, first of all, I'd say, like, don't put Spider-Ham in this movie. It's going to ruin it. You're doing something good here. Why would you do something that silly? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. I think it works just great. For sure. it's It's got to be such an over-the-top character for such a funny idea that there's, like, a pig that is also Spider-Man. <laughs> and I think that the voice that they did was kind of... Was it, like, old-timey film noir kind of voice? Spider-Ham? Yeah. No, I would say it's more, like, Warner Brothers. Oh, okay. That's, right? I think, the, yeah, okay. Warner Brothers, for sure. Because that's what his animation style is as yes. well. I love that he pulls the mallet out and he gives it to Miles. It'll it's fit a, in your pocket. It'll fit in your pocket. That's so good. And he had so many good lines, too. Just like Noir, not a lot to do, but everything he said was great. And when they're talking about, like, can you fly through the air? Can you do this and this? He's, can you float through the air when you smell a pie? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love when they see Genki, the fighter ham, says, do animals talk in this dimension? Because I don't want to freak them out. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. And so funny because, like, it keeps reinforcing the fact that these characters are not from this dimension. Yeah. Because you kind of forget when they're all together that they're not actually all from the same situation. That must have been so hard to animate with all of those different styles when they're up on the roof. But they're, like, moving as one unit. Yeah. All together. I found that super funny. Spider-Ham, as funny as he is, and as great an addition, I think the best thing about him is the commitment that this movie did to just, like, yeah, we're going to try things. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about, like, the frame rate or the art style or bringing all sorts of different characters in, like, number-wise, that's all well and good. But to say that, no, we're going to put Spider-Ham in a movie and he's going to talk and he's going to move along with, like, all of the other Spider-People. yeah. I don't know how they got that through their producers and everything and how people signed off on it, but I'm so glad that it got through because that was amazing. Yeah. And it just shows that when you try weird things, people will like it if you do it well. Yeah. So I wish more more superhero movies would do that. Doesn't... Spider-Ham at one point say, that's all, folks. Yeah. And then, and then everyone's says, can like, you can you, can you that? really say that? Yeah. <laughs> there was like an old joke that uh, Spider-Ham is actually Porky Pig. It's not like a, it's a comic nerd joke. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but would you believe that Spider-Ham outside of Peter Parker is probably the oldest character here? What? Yeah. What? Spider-Ham's been around for a long time. That joke came out a long time ago. Oh, wow. That's funny. Yeah. I could believe it's Porky Pig. I want to see that origin movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the Spider-Man I want next. I don't want any more of this, like, white dudes being Spider-Man. I want to see Porky Pig become Spider-Man. There's not nearly enough pig representation. No, it's underrepresented. Although, you know what uh, Nick Cage's new movie is called? Hmm. Pig. What? Again, this will be a huge divergence if I even just tell you the plot, so let's move on and uh, we'll (laughs) talk about it later. We'll discuss this later. (laughs) I guess we can briefly touch on some of the smaller characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is maybe my favorite version of Aunt May. Oh my god, I was literally about to say let's talk about Aunt May because Lily Tomlin. Great. So good. And she has such a recognizable voice too. Mm-hmm. But if I put Lily Tomlin as Aunt May in like any of the Spider-Man live action. It wouldn't work. I thought it would work. Oh, I don't... Not those characters. No, but she's... She would be... She would have to be more like this Aunt May, more Lily Tomlin. Yeah. 
when they wrote this, they wrote it like, hopefully we can get like a Lily Tomlin type, and then they got Lily Tomlin. That's so amazing. it was written for I love her, it. and I think it's I love so her. She's so funny. Some of her like dry lines that she does are just like are so much funnier because you like the way she delivers it. She d- does a mix of. Uh, snarky and sweet old lady mm-hmm. which i don't think any of the other aunt mays had that <laughs> yeah they were just straightforward like i'm a sweet old lady who gradually gets hotter as the movie yes yeah, so she gets younger and hotter <laughs> um i really appreciate this aunt may because like sexy aunt may from the tom holland movies she's distracting she's not like you just look at marissa tomei and can't pay attention to the plot exactly <laughs> Or I assume one would. (laughs) I don't know. I wasn't that distracting. But I just think that, like, it's dumb to put that much emphasis on a character that isn't really that important to Spider-Man's development. And May May raised him. Oh, yeah. No, no. I know that. But, like, I think that it's great because she's a supporting character. She's not Peter Parker in this movie. She's not trying to teach Spider-Man to be Spider-Man. But I love that she has access to the underground spider lair. Right, which is something new. Yeah, and she's, like, just drinking tea and hanging out. Like, she, like, I'm sure she did with Peter Parker. Yeah, I like how that she's very capable. She's, like, kind of running things behind the scenes. You kind of get the feeling that this Aunt May is, like, the... uh, Alfred from Batman, right, mm-hmm. is secretly doing all sorts of work uh, behind yes. the scenes. Yeah. And she says um, about uh, Miles's like web shooter, like, "Oh, I made this. Oh, it fits perfect." Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that because she's clearly given a different role, and she's like creating gadgets. One of my favorite things with Aunt May was when she and Peter B. Parker meet. Mm-hmm. Because they've both lost each other mm-hmm. in a way, right? And you just see, again, the voice acting and somehow getting that emotion through on these CG characters. But there was so much grief, but then still like happiness to see that person. But then also that's tempered knowing that this isn't your Peter or your Aunt May. Mm-hmm. And I love when she just says like, you look tired, Peter. That, that hit pretty hard, too. Yeah. Like, because she clearly loves him. Yeah. And, and even though knows... this isn't hit, like, her Peter Parker, yeah. it's still so close to her Peter Parker that she just wants to, like, nurture him. And looking at him, she knows, like, things haven't been going well for you. Yeah. And, like, he can tell. She can tell. Yeah. Yeah. That was such a touching little moment. Maybe before we get into our wrap-up when we talk about some big thematic stuff, Let's talk about a few of our favorite like scenes or aspects to the movie. One thing that I really appreciate is that this movie, it takes almost the full movie at close to two hours for Miles to become Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. In so many movies, superheroes discover their power and then they're out there saving the world right away. Yeah. And that is a long journey for Miles to get to like the first couple of steps. Mm-hmm. And of course, once he has the confidence in himself to to do these things he does it expertly and is able to save the day in the end mm-hmm. one little thing when he like zips up to go put the uh the usb the goober in the, the thing goober, yeah uh it's a direct take of what 
Peter had done earlier. He combines actually the moves that Peter and Gwen had done. So it's like he's been watching this whole time and learning from each of them and making it into his own thing, mm-hmm. which is just a cute, cool little uh, style thing they do. Yeah, uh, there were so many moments in this movie that I loved. Yeah, so I think anytime he's like clearly watching the other spider people uh, and trying to like almost emulate them, mm-hmm. like you can see once he's kind of around them, he's starting to kind of like hold himself differently and you can see him kind of changing and trying to be more professional almost. Yeah. Like a professional Spider-Man. Which or is... when Miles does puts on the accent of the voice when he talks to his dad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when he's a kid and he's scared, even when he is Spider-Man, you can kind of see that in his body. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed that. And then... um. I love that scene where he's walking through his neighborhood. Yeah. And he's on his way to the fancy school, but he's walking through his neighborhood and he's like talking in Spanish. He's clearly very calm and you don't see that calm He's confident in his world, right? And that's what we were talking about earlier. That's his thing to overcome Mm -hmm. is going outside of his world. Well, Peter Parker had like a different set of things that he had to work on. And I do love the bits of Spanish because oftentimes when you have a uh, Hispanic mother, especially in movies, they'd say the same things always. And it's uh, it's a little over the top. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want to say racist, but it's bordering on that, (laughs) right? Stereotypical. Yes, for sure. And as someone who grew up with parents speaking a different language, there's certain words you just always say in that language. Mm -hmm. And I like that Miles and Rio have that going on between them. Yeah, I... uh... Like another scene that I really like is when he's standing at the top of the building and he's trying to emulate what he sees in the comic book. Yeah. And like that Spider-Man is scared, but like the Spider-Man in the comic book is also like an older person. So he's less teenager-y and Mm -hmm. Miles look like, he looks like such a teenager. He looks like that little kid who's scared to jump off the diving board at the pool, right? Like he's got that stance and he's trying to be all macho and then it just doesn't work. I love that he goes up there and the music is building and then you get smash cut and it's him running down the stairs again and then seeing a slightly smaller building and going up to that one. Yeah. And then that uh, is later followed by maybe my favorite visual of the whole thing, not stylistically, but thematically. It's when he goes and decides to do his uh, leap of faith finally, and he goes up to one of those big buildings, and this is after he's made himself his new Mm -hmm. suit, he's had this kind of um, awakening of confidence, or at least of purpose, Mm -hmm. and he goes up to this building and he forces himself off but the way they show that he's not like perfect yet is that he's not able to let go of the glass quite right and it breaks and it pulls off away yeah and then we get this shot of him falling and the camera inverts and it's him falling again but he's not falling anymore he's rising right and i know that's a little on the nose <laughs> But maybe it's not. It's not. The way it's done, it it signals like a turn in the movie. So it both does that. It's a a change in his point of view and to show that through falling, he as a character is rising Mm -hmm. was just, just beautiful. And it was such a, also like a beautifully done visually, but the, uh, the thematic stuff behind that scene I thought was one of my favorites. 
And then also, I know this movie, it's not terribly complicated in its plot. It's uh, Kingpin is going to destroy the world unless you put this USB thing in the machine. Yeah. Pretty much it. But this film has so much more confidence in its audience than most others. Like, they assume you're going to understand everything from references to a 60-year-old Looney Tunes cartoon to Japanese anime to memes about popsicles. It doesn't explain any of those. If you get it, awesome, you're going to love it. If you don't get it, don't worry. Five seconds later, something else is going to Exactly. Play. It's, it's a fast-moving plot. And they don't spoon-feed you anything because they don't need to. I appreciated that because, yeah, there were some things that kind of went over my head, but there were other things that I, like, appreciated that they were, like, almost an easy reference for the casual viewer. So you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, I'm in it. I get it. I'm a Spider-Man fan. I was amazed that the uh, post-credit sequence that has, like, the pointing Spider-Man, you've never seen that meme? No. It's, I feel like it's a top 10 meme of the last 10 years. Five years, maybe. I'm not that cool. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no, I'm not. I'm, I don't exactly go around looking at memes, but I just like <laughs> you see them in the world. And that's one of the biggest ones. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Huh. I enjoyed the end sequence for sure. I was so excited because you get to see Spider-Man 2099. And I still have my issue of Spider-Man 2099 number one which is worth uh, nothing because in the 90s they printed millions of those things. <laughs> uh, but you get to see him and then you think it's going to be something crazy and exciting and then they just kind of make fun of itself because this movie, as serious as it is, doesn't take itself seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about some of that thematic stuff that I'd argue raises this movie from like a good superhero movie to just a great movie in general. Uh (laughs) So one of the ones that we talked a little bit about is the great expectations, no expectations. Yeah. And all the pressures that he feels. And I really like that and how it plays in with the idea of choice and how choice affects this whole multiverse thing. Because mm-hmm. you know how I love talking about multiverses. You talk about multiverses so often. <laughs> I don't know that I do, but you may be being sarcastic. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I'm being sarcastic, but also kind of truthful. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea. Yeah. And I think it's actually uh, Doc Ock, Liv. Who, remember how she says, my friends call me Liv. My enemies, enemies call, me, call Doc, me Doc Ock. Ock. Aunt May calls her Liv. She's, oh, great, Liv's here. Yeah. What's the backstory? I do want to know that backstory. I think they used to be friends and had a falling out. (gasps) Because she turned evil. Maybe. And her nephew was Spider-Man. Yeah. That's like another Miles Prowler relationship. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the old joke is if you want to become a supervillain, you become friends with Peter Parker. Sooner or later, you're going to be a villain. So many of them were... I think uh, Doc Ock says at one point that every choice you make kind of creates another universe. And Uh that's kind of the premise of the movie, of course, that there's all these infinite universes with infinite choices in it. And they bring up the words choice a lot with Miles. Like, he doesn't want to go to school. He doesn't Mm -hmm. want to go to that school. And his dad says, like, you don't have a choice. Yeah. And he's always trying to get into situations where he can choose. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want all these expectations. Right. Of course, he wants. He the, doesn't want no anyone to be in charge of him. Yeah, it's brought up so much that there's even the bit about his shoe that people keep telling him a shoelace is undone. Yeah, and then it's a at choice. One point he says it's a choice, and which is funny. 
but yeah. also kind of plays into something if I'm not reading too much into things because later on in the movie he goes to jump off of something, trips over his shoelace, it breaks the goober, and that's what like the main problem of the movie in, yes, in many ways is. they have to make a new goober. Yeah, so his uh, his choice of not choosing to tie up his shoe is what leads him down this path. And it's just another fun way to both like wink at the multiverse theory, but also just at Miles's level about how each one of his choices at this stage in his life gets gets amplified, mm-hmm. right? Because he's both when you're a teenager, the choices you make really do like affect Ampl- things yeah. later on. Yeah. And also because he's he's a superhero now and everything is going to be bigger and heightened mm-hmm. for him. And we did say we wanted to talk about uh, representation in film because you can say representation matters all you want, but unless you're actually doing it and doing it efficiently or effectively, it doesn't really matter. Yes. This is a great movie for that, not just because you have a uh, black or a a biracial Spider-Man, but because the movie tries to include everyone in one way, Mm -hmm. not by having like every type of person in it, but they kind of do that as well. But there's so many types of ways that Miles is outside or othered from everyone else. It's not just the color of its skin. He's new to his school. He doesn't fit in there. He won a kind of lottery system and is on some sort of scholarship. So economically, he's not at the same place as a lot of those kids. And also, he's the one that doesn't fit in in the Spider-Man group. Yeah. There's that one scene where they all kind of like gang up on him a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Where they're like, oh, he's never going to get it. Yeah. Why are we wasting our time? Can you do this? Can you fly through the air with the grace of a ballerina? Can you float when you smell a pie? (laughs) All of that stuff. (laughs) And they keep knocking him down. And unlike... The first Peter Parker who always gets up, Miles isn't there yet, right? Yeah, and he's he's young, and they're trying to force this, like, man role on him. This whole role that has been these people's lives for mm. some time now. Even the young ones, they've been doing this for a while. But he, it's been like a couple of days for him, yes. right? Yeah, this is like 72 hours total this movie and i love the bit about and he can turn invisible i can't do it on command he can't do it on command command. (laughs) yeah i did love how um peter b parker kind of narrated almost in some spots about how like like almost trying to build miles up yeah, he he turns, and I, we talked about that a bit with him. I love that he grows into this kind of mentor figure, mm-hmm. and then potentially a father figure. Yeah. Because I just want him and Mary Jane to get back together. <laughs> Spider pups. And of course, his uh, parents, he feels like his father wouldn't like who he really is, and that speaks to people as well. So I think in all of these different ways, some part of him speaks to you, mm-hmm. right? And then if that's not enough... You also do have all of these other characters. You have a young girl. You have uh, a Japanese girl with her robot. Yeah. You have uh, a man who's battling depression. You have so many different ways. And all what they all have in common is that like whether you're the perfect Peter Parker, you're Tobey Maguire's nerdy Peter Parker, you're Miles Morales, all of them have this underdog tone to them, this idea of things being stacked against them but through sheer strength of will they're mm-hmm. over able to overcome he always gets up right yeah. 
And that's kind of what matters most about Spider-Man. And I like that this movie kind of distills that more than the others because they're able to show so many different people doing the same thing in the same way. Yeah. Well, same but different. Same but different, yeah. All of these spider people are able to be themselves and be great, not one or the other. Yeah, they're able to be themselves but meet the end goal of being Spider-Man. Yeah, because they all have that, the the will. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you're born with, it's something that is generated. And Miles, that's what the movie is, it's Miles' journey to get to that point. And yeah, I love the way that they each in their own way show Miles that you can be Spider-Man, you just have to figure out where that leap of faith is going to take you. Let's talk about uh, even just his costume. Mm-hmm. So he spray paints it, which is both harkening uh, back to his uncle, his best friend. I was saying how I thought that things like that would just be tokenism. I was like, you know, he's urban. He spray paints things. But we get to see himself expressing himself that way. Mm-hmm. And it's something that's important to him. So when they put that background in it, that's how you take something from tokenism to effective representation right and the fact that the spider-man wears a hoodie because now we kind of look at it as like you know mark zuckerberg wears a hoodie a hoodie is just like a casual thing yeah but it's not that long ago that in the u.s they were talking about is wearing a hoodie justifiable cause to murder a black boy because Mm -hmm. that happened and that was the defense he was wearing a hoodie who knows what he had in there and in, if you don't remember the uh, the trial about the murder of Trayvon Martin, it, that was a part of it. You had Congress people wearing hoodies and then getting thrown out of Congress because they were trying to make a point. The hoodie means a lot more than just a hoodie. And I don't think that's lost on the makers of this film. With the amount of detail they put into every little part, that hoodie means something. Yeah. I also heard this story about, uh, you know how like with little kids, when they learn dog... They think like every four-legged animal is a dog. Right, yeah. I heard this story about someone talking and her, I think like two-year-old, their first uh, experience with Spider-Man is Miles Morales, which is pretty cool. But one of the things is that uh, a lot of people, you don't see people of other races when Mm -hmm. you're a baby. Yeah. Like you see your family and that's kind of it. Yeah. And in the past, like, I've heard this from kids of what they think I am, right? Because if you don't see people, like, that look a certain way, mm-hmm. you're going to latch on to the one thing you know. And that's kind of where racism starts, right? right? If you only see Middle Eastern terrorists on TV, you meet a Middle Eastern guy, like, oh, yeah, I know about you guys, terrorists. Well, yeah, racism is taught. It's not like inherent in people and this is why representation matters i heard the story about this kid who now every black person they see they go look it's spider-man oh i love that right (laughs) i love that so much yeah (laughs) that's the world i want to live in (laughs) and it just must be so many so important to so many people to see a superhero of color to see themselves on screen in some way and not just a black version of a pre-existing superhero or not just a uh, character whose identity is that they are black. And I know they did a lot of things with that were great with the uh, Black Panther movie and that character. Right. Yes. And we both love Chadwick Boseman and everything he did. So, so much. 
But the fact is that when that character was created, it was like, hey, we need a black character. That'd be cool, huh? Here's one. And they name him like Black Panther. And he's from like the kingdom of Wakanda in Africa. It's not exactly a terribly nuanced modern take, right? I really did like the movie. I think it's one of the better Marvel movies. And the character has turned out to be great. But you can't just stay there. When they take Miles and make him Spider-Man, it's so much more fulfilling because Mm -hmm. he is a character of our world, even though he's literally of a different world, right? And you're saying that, like, yes, Spider-Man can be a person of color. Not just Peter Parker. We're not just race-switching Peter Parker. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man can be this. Spider-Man can be a woman. Spider-Man can be an older man battling depression. It can be this Mm -hmm. Japanese girl. It can be anyone because anyone can wear the mask. Yeah. I loved that eulogy that Mary Jane gives. And she says, like, you are all Spider-Man. And I just want to show that this is like, I am Spider-Man. Yeah. (laughs) Because that was such a good moment. And then that, like, heavy, thoughtful, kind of emotional moment was underscored by Miles going, I can be Spider-Man. I don't think she means you yeah, specifically. Yeah, and the guy next to her is like, <laughs> next to her is like, hey, she might not have been talking exactly about you. <laughs> yeah, another great example of something so heavy. Yeah. And not dismissed by no. level levity, but just kind of getting the movie back on track mm-hmm. to like, so it doesn't wallow in any of that. Yes. Yeah, Mary Jane says like, It could have been anyone when she's talking about Peter being bitten. And Stan Lee says, it always fits eventually. And that's both literally and figuratively what happens. Because at that moment, he buys that suit and it literally does not fit. And then he goes out later, uh, gets the suit from Aunt May, paints it for himself, and it fits. Just as he wasn't ready to take on that type of responsibility at that point. And then through his trials, through his struggles, he grows and he's able to. Because he's growing emotionally. It's on the nose, sure, but it's so perfect as well. I love it. And I think this whole anyone can wear the mask is maybe my favorite single message from this entire movie. And I know I've been soliloquizing a lot already, but I think I might have to some more. <laughs> because you know how much I complain about the idea in uh, Star Wars or even Princess Diaries that mm-hmm. you have to be born into something. And this movie is like the exact antithesis of all that. Ray, I think, was the child of a fourth generation Palpatine clone or something yeah, dumb like something that. Like that. Mia has to be born into it. They don't do anything to earn those things. And I get that Miles is the one that's bitten by the spider, but the message of the movie isn't that, like, if you get bitten by a spider, you'll be great. It's that that is kind of inconsequential. Sure, in the literal sense of the movie, like, you can't be super strong without it. Mm -hmm. But the movie is about the journey he goes on to discover like who he really is yeah and to make the best of that just like with all of those other characters they all have to rise to the standard of being spider-man yeah and they all have had to overcome something right and it's usually the death of a loved one but they all take that learn from it and grow and i think that the anyone can wear the mask is even better than the whole with great power comes great responsibility. Right. It's kind of baked into it, but it's just so much more fitting for 
for now, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think this movie comes out with so many different angles that you can look at it with. And I think that as you look at it, you kind of end up seeing more facets of just like how great this movie is for people of kind of all ages. Because it shows younger people that like you don't need to fit the mold. He shows older people that like you can still overcome and like become more than what your situation is. Like it's just such a great lesson for everybody. And I think that's the heart of Spider-Man in all its iterations. And I feel like it kind of got lost over some time. And after mm-hmm. seeing so many Spider-Man come along (laughs) and it's ironic that it takes a movie with even more spider people in it to bring it back to what it was Mm -hmm. and that's the essence of spider-man being someone who comes from humble beginnings and is able to conquer things and be their best selves right through hard work and dedication yeah you're not born a spider-man you become a spider-man well, I think uh, this may be one of our longest episodes because <laughs> I really love this movie. It, yeah, we had lots to talk about. Do you have any final thoughts to wrap up your experience with Into the Spider-Verse? I just need everyone to go watch this and then talk to me about it. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything I can say that I haven't already, but you can easily get swept up in the visuals. That's what makes this movie amazing and mm-hmm. astounding. The story is relatively simple, but every scene builds so much character-wise. And I think this is definitely more of a character-driven piece Mm -hmm. than a plot-driven one, which is crazy for a superhero movie, but that's what this is. Yeah. And then when you look into those layers just beneath the surface, that's what makes this movie uh, just great and Mm -hmm. not just a fun action movie. Yeah. So go watch uh, Into the Spider-Verse again because it's so rewatchable too. It is. It's very rewatchable. We actually watched it twice. Maybe one and a half-ish, but... (laughs) (laughs) It was, yeah, it was good both times. And honestly, I just love this world that they've created. And these people. Yeah. I just want to be friends with all of them. Right? Just a gang of Spider-Mans to hang out. Yeah. Well, I've been rambling on about Spider-Man for long enough, so we are going to wrap up for now. Uh, Before we go, though, we want to thank our second sponsor, and that is ATB. And at ATB, we make banking work for you. With expert and practical advice in everyday banking and investment planning expertise and management services with ATB Wealth, you can be confident that you're making smart choices when it comes to your money. We have a history of doing what's right for our clients, especially when times are tough, because ATB was built to help Albertans. For more information, you can visit them at atb.com. And if they want more information on us, where can they reach us, Samantha? Well, you can find us on Facebook at I Love This You Should Too Dash Podcast. You can find us in our inbox on our email at I love this you should and the number two at gmail.com and you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at ILTYS and the number two and we love to hear from you guys we sometimes put up polls and lots of fun pictures and stuff so come come visit us on social media and show us some love and you should review us because we don't have any reviews ever <laughs> I really enjoy hearing from our fans so 
Me too. Please reach out. If you made it to the end of this episode, because man, this this might be the longest one ever now. Maybe. Ooh, we'll see. We'll see. Can you beat The Shining? We'll see. <laughs> well, until next time, remember, anyone can wear the mask. I am Spider-Man. We're all Spider-Man. We're all Spider-Man. We're all Spider-People. So beautiful. So beautiful. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.